Corrie ten Boom was a member of the Dutch resistance during the occupation of the Nazis in the Netherlands. And she wrote a book about her experiences of life under Hitler. She wrote a book, and in this book it was the story of both how in the first half they were hiding Jews in a room behind her room. There was a secret door to get to that room and they hid many refugees. But then secondly, it's a story about how she and her family were arrested and how she and her sister went to Ravensbrück concentration camp. And her sister died there, but she was able to escape. And at the end of the movie, based on the book, Corrie ten Boom herself had a moment to say what she thought was the main takeaway of her story, and she ended it with this. There is no pit where God's love for you is not deeper still. And that's the message of this text this morning. The message of our text this morning is this. There is no pit where God's love for you is not deeper still because Yahweh is the God of the bottomless pit. Yahweh is the God of Psalm 139, the God who tells us this truth in days when it's not real for us, when when he tells us in Psalm 39 the truth that he is the God of the pit. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. But Yahweh is also the God of Psalm 88, who comforts and sustains us and strengthens us with this truth when it's our lived reality. And so as we look at this psalm this morning, that is our theme that we will look at. The truth we need to see is Yahweh is the God of the bottomless pit. This psalm is a Christian cry. This is a Christian's prayer. And our gracious covenant-keeping God put this shapeless scream, this scream without structure and all over the place and repetitious, to remind us, God put it there to remind us that he's the God of providence. Yahweh is the God of providence who will turn to our prophet whatever he sends us in this veil of tears. He is able to do it because he's almighty God and he desires to do it because we belong to him in Jesus. So we'll look at this in two points this morning. First, the longer of the two points, this is a wisdom cry. Secondly, This is a covenant cry. The first and longer point, a wisdom cry. Secondly, a covenant cry. First, this is a wisdom cry. Look back at the title of our text. Look back at the title and you'll see that this is a Moskil of Haman the Ezraite, not to be confused with Heman the Mattel action figure. But who is Haman the Ezraite? Well, 1 Kings 4.31 tells us. 1 Kings 4.31 says that Haman was the gold standard of wisdom before Solomon. 1 Kings 4.31. Solomon was wiser than all men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite, and Haman, and Kalkol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and Solomon's fame was in all nations round about. Haman is what we call a board-certified wisdom hero. What's a wisdom hero? He's a wise man. He's somebody who fears the Lord and then lives in light of the reality of God's truth. He lives in light of the word of the Lord. A wisdom hero is somebody who lives rightly, by faith, according to the words of both the law and the gospel in this fallen world. And so he lives in light of how God has spoken. And Haman, because he's a wisdom hero, understands the truth of the word of God. He understands the truth of the word of God about suffering. 
Throughout the psalm, Haman recognizes that even though God is not the author of evil, he doesn't make evil, he doesn't cause evil, nevertheless, his suffering is ordained by God. Your breakers are over me. You have put me in the depths of the pit. I suffer your terrors. See, some commentators think that this is what we call a penitential psalm, a psalm of repentance. They think this song is about sin and its consequences. And they say, well, the psalmist has sinned and therefore he's suffering for it. But this is where systematic theology can actually be really pastoral because it gives us the right categories for thinking about texts. We know that the psalmist is a sinner, And we know that left to himself, he deserves God's wrath. That's all true, but it's in another field of systematics. When we come to this text, we need to read what the text says. And in this text this morning, our text never says, I've sinned and I'm sorry. There's no penitence in a penitential psalm or a so-called penitential psalm. So we need another category for thinking about this psalm. And what we have is wisdom. Our text says this is a wisdom cry. Our text says it's a mosque of Haman the Ezraite, a wisdom hero. And our text mimics almost exactly the same things that another wisdom hero says. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you want, to Job chapter 19. We're not going to read the whole thing. It's a long text. But it's good to look at Job 19 because it mirrors what's said in Psalm 88. Verses 7 through 9, it's the same thing. God is attacking him. Verses 10 through 12, God is overwhelming him. And verses 13 through 20, his friends, his lovers, his lover, his wife, the children in the street, and the whole wide world hate him and avoid him. What Haman recognizes is that even our suffering is from the hand of God. Like we heard so powerfully last Sunday night, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, and I don't like it very much when he takes away. The reality of this life is we live in Adam's world. We live in a creation that is groaning. The creation is longing to push us out and pop us into new creation and the promise of resurrection, but we are not there yet. We are in Adam's world. We live in the veil of tears. We live in the not yet of God's promises for the end. And we live in the present evil age of the promise you will have tribulation. So what some commentators miss is this title. And because of that, the title of this psalm, they miss that. And because they miss that, they miss that this is a wisdom cry. This is a cry of the Christian living the Christian life and suffering the Christian life. Heman, Haman, the wise man, knows that sometimes when we're living in Adam's world, God withdraws the light of his countenance for a time so that we can understand all the more deeply our need for sweet communion with Christ. One pastor put it this way, flowers need night's cool darkness, the, daylight, or the, de- uh, the moonlight and the dew, so Christ from one who loved it His shining oft withdrew. And then for cause of absence, my troubled soul I scanned. But glory shadeless shines in Emmanuel's land. This is the point. Heman understands this because he understands what's happening. He understands the truth that this is a wisdom cry. And Haman is also wise because in the midst of all of this, 
In the midst of his suffering in the Christian life, he does the one thing that will do him good. He prays to God of my salvation. Verse 1, Yahweh, God of my salvation. And notice that's the first word. The first word of this psalm is God's covenant name. Yahweh, God of my salvation. This is a Christian cry and it is a wisdom cry because it comes from a Christian. This is not a sinful rant toward the skies. This is not the sin of bitterness. This is a cry of a Christian suffering the trials of a Christian life. Verse 1b, I cried before you daily in the night. And this teaches us something about the Christian life. The crying Christian life is a life of prayer. Prayer is our chief, the chief part of our thankfulness to God. It's the way God wants us to thank him and ask him for his gifts. And so it's the most important part of our Christian life, our private Christian life in thankfulness, even in the times of testing. Prayer is important in the trials. Those long dark nights of crying under the unbearable weight of it all are part of Yahweh's wonderful plan for your life to draw you to himself. And so Yahweh wants you to pray, even when it feels like you're praying to the ceiling. Verse 2, let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Verse 2 is a prayer about prayer. And the point here is that praying, even when it feels like Yahweh doesn't hear us, is part of the Christian life in Christ because he wants us to know he does hear us. Even when it does not feel that he does, he does hear us in Christ. In Christ, you have the right, as we prayed earlier, to come into the holy of holies. You have the right to come before the throne of God in your deepest afflictions and treat that throne as if it's a place you belong every day. In Christ, Yahweh wants to hear you. He delights to hear you. Prayer is powerful because it's the way that God has ordained to bless and strengthen you with himself when we ask him. And so the wise cry is a cry that lives with this tension. There are two tensions here. On the one hand, God is sovereign over our sufferings. He ordains them for our good. And on the other hand, Yahweh delights to hear us pray to him in the sufferings he ordains so that he can draw us closer to himself because he delights to hear our cries from the pit. Yahweh is the God of the bottomless pit. Now, I want to be very careful what I'm saying here. We're not saying here that you can pray your trials away. There are a lot of, well, A, that's not what the text says. The text does not say you can pray your trials away. This text is about, it's about praying and crying until you feel you cannot pray and cry anymore and still being in the midst of the pit. This text is not saying pray your depression away. And that goes against a lot of well-meaning advice from well-meaning people. There are a lot of well-meaning people out there who want to tell you that all your problems are because you haven't been spiritual enough. Brother, your depression is just because you haven't believed the gospel hard enough. Sister, have you considered that all your problems are just your fault? Brother and sister, if you just trusted the Lord harder, you wouldn't have X, Y, Z. And those kind of people have been around since Job's day. Job, repent, it would all be better. Haman, we think you're writing a penitential psalm. Brother, stop taking your meds and just pray harder, do devotions harder. And Psalm 88 stands against these people. Psalm 88 stands against these people because Psalm 88 is a wisdom cry. It's a cry from a Christian living a Christian life. 
of suffering. Sometimes you will pray and pray and the thorn is still there, but my strength is made perfect in your weakness and my grace is your enough. And our psalmist understands this truth. He understands that these things that he's going through are not outside God's sovereignty. They're actually from the hand of Yahweh. Yahweh is the God of my salvation who sovereignly works this trial for my salvation and my good. And that gives me hope in belonging to him. This is a wisdom cry. This is a wisdom cry that doesn't mince words about pain. Look at the language here. My soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. My soul has had enough of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. This is a cry of exhausted surrender. This is the cry of somebody who's well beyond the point of, I'm ready to lay down and die here. I've been dying since my youth, he says. Verse 4, I'm like a man with no strength. And the word here for man is not just your generic word. The word here actually has a connotation of a strong man. So this is ironic. Our psalmist cries out to the Lord and he says, I'm like a strong man with no strength. Everything I thought I had, everything I thought I could do is gone. I'm burned out, I'm drained, and it is over. The psalmist says, my eye is dim with sorrow. And the idea here is so, he's so overwhelmed that his eyes are glazed over and hollow. And maybe you've seen this. Maybe you've run into this. Maybe you've felt this. This is the cry of somebody who wakes up not sure why they've woken up this morning. This is the cry of someone whose whole being is spent and used and they cannot care anymore. Their eyes will not twinkle. And they can't even look at you to let you know that they are alive and okay. This is the cry of someone who has been running on fumes for a while and there is nothing left. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of the dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Our psalmist is going through this cycle of grief and pain where he's in a pit deeper than he ever imagined. And he's overwhelmed by the, ba- the waves that batter him lower and drive him down further so that he cannot get out. I'm shut in so that I cannot get out. And then he starts talking about the land of the dead. And when the psalmist starts talking about the land of the dead, he starts saying things he knows he's not, are, are not true because of his exhaustion. We know the truth is that God does not forget the dead. Yahweh is God of both the living and the dead. But in the midst of his grief, the psalmist is slipping. He's losing a grip on what he knows is true. And the lesson here is simple too. In the times of being in the deepest and darkest pits, when everything is conspiring around us to crush us, in those times it is not your grasp on the truth that keeps you. It is Yahweh's hold on you. It's not our reformed theology that saves us. It's the God of reformed theology who holds on to us tightly and never lets us out of his hand. Even when it seems like he is distant and hiding and not answering and only coming in wrath, even when that's what it feels like for this psalmist, the reality is that Yahweh is indwelling the psalmist by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he's giving this no strength strong man the strength to pray. We would not have the strength to cry to the Lord if he were not first teaching us by his Holy Spirit to cry what we don't fully understand. 
But now we come to our second point. Not only is this a wisdom cry, this is a covenant cry. <clears throat> this is a cry to Yahweh God of my salvation. Before the bitter end of the psalm in verse 18, we have verse 13. Lord, O covenant God of my salvation, to you I call. As the psalmist asks all these uh, desperate questions and, and makes these desperate statements in pain, he does so to Yahweh. And he can do so on the basis of verses 1 and 13, that he belongs to our faithful, promise-keeping covenant God. Yahweh promises that he helps and saves his people. Yahweh promises that the world is the stage on which he plays out his mercy toward his people. And so the subtle undertone of what Haman is saying here is, Lord, keep your promises. As Haman cries out in verses 10 through 12 about whether or not Yahweh will be praised from the grave, he's really asking the same question David asked in Psalm 30, verses 8 through 9. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the dust or to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? And as he's pleading David's question, he's pleading the answer that David got. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you have lifted me. I, Lord, my God, I cried for your help, and you healed me. Lord, you have brought me up from Sheol. You restored to me life from among those who go down to the pit. Haman saying, I'm going down to Sheol, but your promise is you will not leave me there. You will not let your Holy One see corruption in Christ. Haman saying, Lord, you have promised mercy. You have promised steadfast love, and you have promised me that you are mine and I am yours. The psalm that comes after this psalm, Psalm 88, the psalm that comes after it is Psalm 89. Psalm 89 is often known as the Song of the Covenant. But Psalm 88 is the cry of the covenant. The reason we can sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever and make known with our mouth his faithfulness to all generations is because he's the God who keeps his promises to his people. And the reason we can trust him is because he's promise keeper. And so as we cry out to him, we can trust him that he will keep his promises to us in the depths. He is still ours, and we are still his. He never breaks his promises. In the midst of unbearable agony, Haman cries to plead the promises of the covenant God who hears, because Yahweh cannot break his word. He can never leave us, and he can never forsake us, because he promised he can't. He can't leave us in the pit. This is a covenant cry. And Haman can make this cry because by faith, he is looking to Christ. By faith, Haman is looking forward to Christ and he is painting a picture of the son who will come and take on flesh and become the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who wept and bore our griefs. Haman is looking forward to the one who will actually bear everything he's talking about. Christ will really bear the full crushing weight of the wrath of God so that even though we deserve Psalm 88 every day, Christ actually got it, so we will never truly endure it. Christ drank all the true breakers and overwhelming waves of God's wrath because the Father gave him that cup for you. 
Haman was looking forward to the one whose soul will be sorrowful even unto death. He's looking forward, he says, to you I stretch my two empty palms. And he's looking forward to the one whose palms will be mangled as they're raised, crying out the true cry of desertion, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, so that we will never be forsaken. He's looking forward to the one who will cry out for somebody to have pity on him, and there will be no one nor will he find any comforter. Heman is looking forward to the one who will become an abomination to his friends. We esteemed him despised and smitten and stricken by God and afflicted. Haman is looking forward to Christ whose friends all ran away from him in the garden, one running so fast he forgot his clothes he couldn't get out of there fast enough. Haman is looking to the, forward to the sun whose only friend will be darkness, a darkness that hangs in the middle of the day as God truly removes all providential care from the sun and comes to him only in wrath so that you and I will never bear it. So as Haman cries that he is the no-strength strong man headed for Sheol, he is looking forward to Christ, true one who will head to Sheol and make his grave with the wicked at his death. And so Haman knows his Heidelberg. We confess that he descended into hell so that in deepest dread and affliction and temptation, I may be assured that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain and terror in body and soul on the cross, but also earlier, has delivered me from unbearable hellish agony and torment. Believer, know this. Even though Psalm 88 may be what we feel, and it is our psalm in this veil of tears, it's not our song forever. Because that ending ended in Christ. There may be seasons where it feels like God turns his face from us and only comes to us in wrath. It may feel as if you are completely empty and you are utterly alone in a bottomless pit, but Yahweh is the God of the pit. It may feel like you're in that pit for a very long time. There may be long seasons where Psalm 88 is the overwhelming cry of your heart. But in Christ, God has sent his son to a hell worse than Psalm 88 so that he could raise you to life in new creation. So in Christ, God does not deal with you in wrath like your sins deserve. He does not give you Psalm 88 forever because in Christ, Yahweh is the God of your salvation to whom you can cry covenant cries and he will never ever abandon you in the pit your story does not end in the veil of tears. It doesn't end in Sheol. It ends with, I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. In Christ, you are, he, Christ, Yahweh is yours, and you are his. And there is no pit where his love for you is not deeper still. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.